0: Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Endeavor podcast. Today is Thursday, July 26th, 2018, and I'm your host, Steven Schroeder. Today, I'm excited to share with you a conversation that I had with Emily Stefke. Emily is a student from the University of Michigan, but she's here in Heidelberg as a research assistant with the DAAD, like myself. Emily is studying neuroscience, but her project this summer is at the German Cancer Research Center, which is also called the DECA-EFZ. We talked about her diverse lab experience in the States, the research that she's doing on kidney cells this summer, and we also got to talking about running and the controversy surrounding female professional runners who have higher than normal testosterone. So I hope you enjoy the episode, and now without further delay, here's Emily Stefke. All right. Well, I'm here with Emily Steffke. Thanks for joining me.
1: Uh, I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Yeah, let's get right into it. What's your history? Where are you from? What are you doing here in Germany?
1: So I am currently heading into my senior year of undergraduate study at Michigan State University And I am here in Heidelberg for the summer doing a research program through the DAAD. I'm here for 10 weeks working in a lab at the DKFZ, as they call it, or the um, German Cancer Research Center. And I'm working in a lab that studies lipid pathobiochemistry. And um, we're looking at a few different things in that um, aspect
0: yeah, know, I'm really excited to get into your like cancer research stuff. So maybe let's go back to Michigan and Michigan State. What's your history of research? I know you've been in a couple of different labs, so,
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, when I first started out with my undergraduate studies, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I was interested in science, but I actually had no idea. My high school that I went to had pretty um, terrible science programs, I would say. We did not really do any lab work. I think the most I ever did was like learn how to focus a microscope looking at like newsprint. Um, and mostly (laughs) it was all, um, just book work. And so I thought maybe I liked science, but I knew that I'd never really done it before. And, um, that was one of the great things about Michigan state is that I got to start with research right away. And, um, I thought, Oh, maybe neuroscience would be really good for me because it's so interdisciplinary. Neuroscience can encompass biology, but also cognitive science, psychology, linguistics, um, philosophy, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I was like, this is perfect. This is me choosing science, but not actually choosing science. Like yeah. if I want to.
0: If I wasn't doing geology, I would definitely be doing neuroscience. I think it's so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, I was I was really excited. And I started off in a um, lab that studied motor cognition. And so we were working with people doing experiments where we would have them move in different ways. And um, I can go more into that, I suppose. So um, one thing we were studying is the interference between your hands when you move one hand, how it affects you move the other hand, like that whole patting your head and rubbing your belly sort of phenomenon that's like very difficult. And we're wondering what's going on in the brain that's causing such problems with that, right? Okay, like, okay. why um, is it that when you're doing something controlled by one hemisphere, how is it talking to the other hemisphere? Yeah, So um, I would bring people in, and we would have them do this um, paradigm where they would use joysticks to move a certain way, and then we could manipulate the visual feedback they were getting, and right. we would kind of mess with their system, and we could see how um how they responded to it and then we also were in the process of linking this up with eeg and um using tms which is a uh, method of magnetic stimulation of the brain and so you could actually like if you put a powerful enough magnet over the sensory motor cortex you can make people twitch that's really cool yeah so is eeg the
0: one where they have like the net on the yes. head, essentially. Yes,
1: and you um, have electrodes in right. all these different places, and then you're recording right. the brain waves.
0: Okay. So, cool.
1: yeah. So we were doing uh, stuff like that, and, and that was I, just
0: a summer project.
1: Nope, that was all school year um, okay. during my freshman year of undergrad. That's cool
0: that they get you right into that stuff. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a program for like, you know, if you come in and you're really down to do research and you have good enough grades coming in and stuff like. That. Awesome. Yeah. So. Um, I really liked it, but it didn't feel quite right. I um, I started taking classes, and I realized I really liked the biology side of things. Like I loved my undergraduate biology introductory course, my biology lab class. And then my cognitive psychology class, I was like, not so much. It left so much unexplained to me. It it was it was um, I don't want to say too flimsy, but um, I really liked how precise more the biology can be and to me the cognitive side just opened up so many questions and you know you can do experiments and observe things but it's so hard to manipulate and know exactly what's going on
0: right so you like the like concreteness of biology whereas psychology or you know you can only do observational experiments it's been more abstract
1: yeah yeah so i i was like maybe it's time for me to try something different. And so uh, the summer after my freshman year, I got an internship in Washington, D.C. at the National Institute of Mental Health. And there I was working in a lab that was doing a little bit more biological neuroscience. So we were working with mouse models and we were looking at network level firing patterns of neurons so we could look at say a group of 100 neurons and see how um the firing of one affects downstream firing of others right like how
0: they're talking to each other
1: yeah yeah kind of and um we were We were studying particularly this phenomenon my PI termed um, cortical avalanches. So it's kind of how, you know, if you have one neuron that's excited, how many other neurons does it excite? Is it like one excites two and those two excite two more? Okay. but no, the answer is no, it's not like an exponential thing because then your whole brain would be lighting up. That's like epilepsy, right? Right,
0: like a seizure. Like Right, exactly.
1: Okay. So there's this kind of fine line of balance of yeah. how many neurons get activated and inactivated. And we were studying those and mostly looking at it at least for my project in terms of schizophrenia and how okay. those patterns are changing. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really so cool. that was really fun for me.
0: Did you have results from that project or is that are all these projects just kind of ongoing for you and for them obviously.
1: So for that project, I was um, kind of doing a lot of different things in the lab. I was not just working on one specific project, but helping with a whole lot of different things. I would say it, for me, it was a really good introduction into what it's like working in a little bit more of a neuroscience biological lab setting. But I wasn't really seeing a project from beginning to end. For okay, me, it was more right. learning the methods. Yeah. One thing that I got to learn that was really exciting for me was. Um, how to do brain surgery on mice? Um, one of the ex- one of the uh, procedures that we used to record these groups of neurons was actually removing the skull of mice and implanting a like a glass cover slip so that we had basically a window into their brain.
0: Wow, that's and crazy.
1: Yeah, we could. So we could infect neurons with a tracer that lights up when they are um, excited and we could make movies of the neurons firing.
0: Oh, crazy. That's live.
1: Yeah. So that was really cool. I totally geeked out about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) that was really fun for me.
0: So you've been, how, and then you've, how many more projects have you done in between then and being here in Germany?
1: Sure. So, uh, after that, I, uh, went back to MSU to begin my second year and I decided to change labs. So I started working in the lab. I am in now at school and I will uh, go back to that lab when we study, um, drug addiction and stress and we look at protein level changes and epigenetic changes. Um, so it's a lot lot of uh, behavioral things with mice, and then also looking at the protein level or whatever genetic basis of different behaviors. And then I last summer was in Oregon at the University of Oregon, again, doing neuroscience research, and I was studying auditory cortex. So we were doing electrophysiology and looking specifically at firing patterns of one or a few neurons at a time in their response to sound. So we could actually have an awake living mouse and we would play different sound stimuli at it. (laughs) Like music or? um, Not quite as complex as music, but, um, one one thing we would play is gaps in noise, which is actually a model for speech perception. Okay. Um, when, when I'm talking, for example, there are gaps between words. There are also gaps between even the f- phonemes, like a K has more space in it, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, mice can pick up on that and learn to associate meanings with very, very small gaps, like on the scale of four milliseconds, like very small. And so we would play different um, where they would be listening to like white noise and then there'd be a small gap. And then it'd go back to the white noise, things like that. We'd also play tuning curves to see if their neurons respond to certain pitches or Mm. sounds of different decibel levels, things like that.
0: Wow. All these labs are like so different, but they all sound so interesting. (laughs) It's crazy that that you've been to so many different places and you're in what you're in your you said your fourth level I'll your head undergrad. into my
1: fourth year yeah yeah
0: that's crazy <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so now here I am in Heidelberg and um that's it, it's been great for me research has yeah, been a really good fantastic. opportunity for me to explore a little bit I chose to go to college very close to where I live within an hour and a half of my home but I've now spent one summer on one coast one on the other <laughs> and now I'm abroad and it's all because of research. So that's been great.
0: That's awesome. And so how do you find out about the DAAD program? How did you end up? Sure.
1: Sure. So um, I'm actually double majoring in neuroscience and English. And for my English major, you have to take a language. And um, after giving it kind of a lot of debate, I decided to take German for a few reasons. Um, My family ancestry all comes from Germany. And um, so it's a little bit of a tradition in my family to learn German. And I was just very curious about the history and the culture of Germany. But also Germany is a really important country for research. There's lots of great research happening and in Germany. And they w- fund
0: research well too, which they is good. They do. <laughs> yeah, I
1: learned that uh, the further I got into it. Yeah. And so I took German for a couple of years at my university and I was like, I want to put this into practice. Yeah. And so I started looking into opportunities to come over to Germany and what else? Do research. Um, And so I pretty quickly found the DAD program and applied and was lucky enough to end up here in Heidelberg. Mm -hmm.
0: That's awesome. So yeah, maybe we can just get into a little bit how you like it in Germany and then right into your research a little bit.
1: Sure, sure. So I really like it here, um, especially Heidelberg, I think is a beautiful city. It's not too big of a city, which is nice for me. Yeah. It's easy to get yeah. outside and get into the mountains or whatever.
0: It's um, really hot here today, but most of the time it's pretty comfortable. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's, it's been really nice for running and um, swimming and climbing and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I've really enjoyed it. I really love the lab culture. I love the people in my lab. So everybody's been very welcoming.
0: How's the lab culture here versus in the States?
1: I, I think, um, the balance people have between working and life is a little bit better. Um, I see, I don't know. I I feel like in most of my labs that I've been in, in the U S people will work through lunch as much as they can. Or if they're not like taking the shortest little lunch break, they can, they're reading like a journal article while they get lunch or something here in my lab, everybody goes to lunch pretty much at the same time, all eats together. Don't even pull out their cell phones. People (laughs) actually talk to each other, take a break. Um, and it's really nice, but it's, it's not that, people work way less, I don't yeah, think. Yeah. Um, people work pretty normal to long hours, and um, I feel like we get a lot accomplished, but I think that people value the importance of like taking a break yeah. a little bit more. And I
0: think taking breaks, you can be more productive in the time that you are working. Which
1: Exactly. Kind <laughs> of
0: th- that makes all the difference. Yeah. What are you doing in your lab right now? I know you've only been working there for two months since you've been here, but what's it like? What are you doing there?
1: Sure. So I am doing nothing to do with neuroscience for the first time ever. What we are studying is a model of um, the kidney, of uh, kidney cells. Um, This phenomenon that we're interested in is that in cancer, um, a lot of chemotherapy drugs cause renal damage. And
0: Renal's kidney. Yes,
1: yes. Um, And so we want to be able to negate that as much as possible. Okay. And um, what we think could be playing a role in this is this certain um, sphingolipid. Um, it's the GB3 sphingolipid and it makes up part of the membrane of the proximal tubule cells. Okay. So it's
0: complicated. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So depending on how much, you know, biology background you have, you may or may not know what I'm talking about. So it's like a
0: fatty chemical. That's a part of a cell that's in the kidney. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, so fluids are passing through this membrane which includes these sort of lipids okay and um we um, see that there are changes in the way things are filtered um when there's kidney damage with with um, chemotherapy and all that kind of stuff okay. so we see increased permeability to proteins and things like that and we want to understand what is what is causing this so that and then the other thing is um we know that this specific sphingolipid is important for um toxicity of a certain drug so if you don't have this um you don't have this sphingolipid, yeah. for some reason you you can't receive this drug and you don't get these negative effects. Okay. So we're trying to understand how exactly this sphingolipid is working and what's that what that has meant for me this summer is developing a cell line that has a knockout of this um, of this specific sphingolipid. So we have human kidney cells that we culture and we use CRISPR methods to knock out this um, sphingolipid and also another part of, I guess, another lipid that is involved or a protein that make sure we're staying in the pathway we want to. Okay. And basically once once we get our cell line, we can do different assays on it to see how um what kind of proteins it's interacting with and how it changes the permeability of membranes and things like okay.
0: that. Okay. And so this all it makes a big difference to cancer drugs in the end right like it could make a difference
1: sure that yeah that's the end goal is that perhaps if if this um, sphingolipid is the key if we can co-administer a drug that can inhibit the sphingolipid it's very possible that the chemotherapy drugs might not affect the kidney when they are passing through people
0: okay okay cool and it's pretty awesome that like you guys can use CRISPR to do all that stuff. I know oh, yeah. it's a pretty new technology. It's been in the news a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, it's I mean, for people that don't know about what CRISPR is,
1: I, I'm no expert, I would say, yeah. but um basically you uh can take a plasmid, which is like a ring of DNA, and you can put into that plasmid a very specific sequence of DNA for whatever you want. For right. us, it's we're, that we're putting in a sequence of DNA that makes it so that our... Our lipid of interest no longer functions, right? And you take that plasmid and you use bacteria to get that plasmid transfected into cells right. at a very certain um, cut point. Spot, yeah, yeah, and, and so it's basically like a, alters the DNA right. of those cells.
0: Like, yeah, it's a gene editing technology, yes. right? And it's really easy to do, which is the best part about it, right?
1: Yeah, I mean. It's, it's been a little bit of a project and you have (laughs) for sure like troubleshooting and stuff, but it's something that can be done even within the span of a month or two in the summer. And now we have a whole cell line going and, um, we know we're starting to do assays with those cells. So it's been really exciting to kind of see it go from beginning to end.
0: Yeah. So what's your favorite part about the work here that you're doing?
1: Mm, my favorite part, <laughs> or maybe least yeah. favorite part. Um my my favorite part is that it's so different from anything I've done before. So I've never worked with cell cultures, and so that was a little bit of a learning curve for me. But now I feel like I understand it so well, and I know it's a technique that I will definitely probably use again at some point in my life. And then also the um the other bench work is super different from stuff I've done. So instead of slicing brains or like looking at neurons under a microscope, I'm working with lipid samples and I'm like, you know, you have to use all these glass syringes and things like that. And it's just, it's, it's like a lot of pipetting, but I've found that I actually don't mind it so much. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, It's been really great.
0: The kind of skills that are useful in every lab, and also, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they'll definitely be useful in the future. And so what are you thinking about doing in the future? Like you said, you're going back to the lab that you're at in Michigan, in Michigan. So you're, that's where you're going back to this year. But then after you're done there, what are you, what are you up to?
1: So I'm not hundred percent sure. I still have two years left. I'm actually extending my program over five years so that I can use all my athletic eligibility. I'm on the cross country and track teams at Michigan state. So I took a red shirt year, my freshman year, and I have four more years to use. So I at least have a little while to finalize my plans, but That's good. Yeah. as I've gone through, um, I am pretty sure that what I want to do is medical research, um, going forward. I probably want to do that in some sort of, uh, MD, PhD capacity. Um, as far as training goes, I am really interested. I've found in cancer research, um, specifically in, immunological treatments for cancer. It's a super up and coming field right now. I think it's really exciting what we can do and, um,
0: Maybe gene therapy with CRISPR.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you <maybe>. never know. <laughs> you never know. Um, I think I would really like to look at, uh, specifically in the brain, how, um, we can use immunotherapy to treat brain tumors and yeah. how, um, the immune system of the brain is changing. Um, when, you know, there's a tumor present in the brain and just how the, that affects the functioning of neurons as well. Um, I. Uh, last semester was doing a big presentation project for my physiology class. And I really wanted to look at how uh, neurons are changed by brain tumors, not, not how the tumor itself happens or whatever, but how, how are like the rest of the neurons affected? Yeah. And what I found is that there's actually not that much research on it. And um, the stuff that was, was like fairly over my head. And I I realized I needed to learn more about the immune system. So I ended up doing a project more about immunity and totally fell in love with it and would love to take that and combine it with neuroscience. And, I think I would really like to do so in a capacity where I'm also working with patients and working with people who have tumors. I I am really interested in medicine because it's so uh, interpersonal. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think that for me, just being a doctor wouldn't be enough. I don't think I could look at somebody and say, this is all we have you know, we'll, we'll try with what we have and that's what we're going to do. I want to be on the research edge of it. I want to say, okay, we're going to try something new because we've tried everything else. We're going to try to make this as good as possible for you. And I think uh, even being here at the DKFZ, I've seen and gotten to listen to a lot of presentations by medical doctors and by PhDs who work together and take novel things they see in the clinic and take that through kind of a reverse translation process and start looking at it in the lab and say, oh, what is this novel thing that's going on? And then you can take that back once you find out, oh, there's some specific mutation, there's some specific protein. You can take that all the way back and turn it back into a treatment. So I... Think I would love to do that.
0: Yeah, just like seeing that whole chain of how things go on is yeah, I can see it being really cool. Yeah. It's awesome hearing about stuff that is totally outside of where (laughs) I'm like, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I'm around other geologists all day, so it's awesome to hear about all that stuff. Yeah. So you were saying that you're on the track and field team um in Michigan. What's your history with track and field, with running? I mean We've been running together here in Germany. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> what's your, what's your history with it?
1: Sure. So when I was really, really little, I hated running like second and third grade. Didn't I would everybody. like to try <laughs> to get out of it. I feel yeah. like. And then when I was in fifth grade, the, um, my school had this program called girls on the run and all my friends were doing it. And so I signed up for it and It was this program where you met like twice a week after school and you ran and it it was also kind of um, mixed up with like talking about, um, I don't know, all kinds of issues that like affect young girls from like, I don't know, like eating and self-confidence and bullying and all kinds of stuff like um, they would kind of talk about something and then send you out and you could talk to your friends about it while you ran or you just run and have fun That's and sweet. i just loved it yeah. so much for me it was so fun um because i loved i really i loved cheering for people when they ran like i get <laughs> so excited and we would just do so much like screaming and pumping each other up and yeah. the the motto was girls on the run is so much fun for <laughs> and, and we would just like spend so much time like screaming, yelling for each other while we ran. It was like the most positive environment ever. So that's
0: great. That's really I started great.
1: to like running and then in seventh grade, uh, heading into junior high, we also, we got this new dog, this puppy, and he had so much energy and he had to go for runs. And I live very close to the cross country course. So I would take him up there and I would like walk him and run him. And the coach kept being like, you got to come out and do cross country. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And I ended up doing it. I really liked it. And I started to kind of get more and more into it and better and better. And um, kind of had a lot of success with it gradually throughout high school. My high school team won uh, two state championships actually in cross country and awesome. two in track and for our relay, so I was very proud of that. And I, it kind of almost became my life, like I did almost everything kind of revolving around running, right, and right. so I wanted to continue to do it. Um, when I went into college, and so I ended up doing it at Michigan State. It's been a really, really great thing for me. It's hard. It's, it's um, incredibly time-consuming, and it's physically and emotionally draining um, at times, especially going through injury, uh, which I have kind of had a lot of issues with. Um, that's, I think, the biggest thing about running is that you want to train as hard and as much as possible, but it's actually all about walking this fine line between doing as much as possible and not doing too much so that you end up injured and exhausted and things like that. So, um, it's been great though. I have met all of my best friends through it. I've just, I've learned so much about myself and it's really kept me grounded and focused, I think through, My studies as well. It really adds structure to my day. It gives me something to look forward to. The best part of my day is that every day at three o'clock I get to step away from school, you know, totally mentally get a break from it for three or four hours. I'm just with my teammates running, doing strength training, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's similar for me. Like in the mornings, that time that I'm running, it's just completely you know, by myself on my doing my own thing. I'm not focused on anything else. It just kind of lets me kind of reset and prepare for the day. And yeah, yeah, I'm I mean, for me, I also do streak running, not like streaking, but streak running like (laughs) I run every day. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of been a thing for me that really kind of gives me the energy for the day, but it also really makes you aware of your body and like how you're feeling that day. And yeah, Yeah. it really is, you know, finding that balance in whatever you're doing between how hard you're going to push versus how much your body can handle. Right. Yeah. 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 And with running, where do you find the motivation?
1: Um, I think that It helped me to almost like find my identity, Uh, especially in high school. Like I realized I was really passionate about it and it helped me to kind of let go of everything else and just like be very present in it and focused and competitive. And now um, in college, it's, it's a little bit different because I think in high school it was like, I am that girl who loves running and then you come (laughs) to college and I'm on this big team of 40 girls who are all amazing runners. And it's so our identities aren't like, she's the running girl. It's like, that's all of us. So, um, it's, it's become more of, um, of course it's like a personal thing, but it's also like so much in the team and, um, I, I love running just because of the way it makes me feel. Um, and I love the way it makes my body feel. I, I love how much it hurts sometimes. I love how I can just go get out of my head. But it's also like, I love the team atmosphere. I've never lost that, like, girls on the run aspect of it where I love cheering people on when they <laughs> run. I love, like, bringing other people up with me, like, working out together. It's, yeah. it's like, so powerful. And I, I like get emotional about it like sometimes like I'm just thinking about it how much I love running but um definitely when it gets hard and it totally does it's my teammates who keep me going
0: yeah I usually listen to podcasts when I'm running you don't usually listen to anything do you no never so on one of my runs the other day I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about a Olympic runner someone who she runs competitively you know yeah, like who? Her name's uh, Duti Chand. Have okay. you heard of her?
1: Uh, maybe not. So I, uh, she's sh- not American. No, she
0: yeah. is a runner for India, who okay. like normally doesn't really compete in running. Okay. And something that I thought, you know, this is applicable to my interests and probably to yours too is that she was beating records over and over again in women's running. And they were like, wow, she is something else. Because, you know, in running competitively at like a world level, you have this split between men and women, right? Mm -hmm. And just because of physiological reasons or whatever else, you know, men have like lower times by a few seconds. And so since she was beating all these records they're like oh we need to do a test on her to like verify that she's female right and oh yeah.
1: Semania. are you talking about Semania? no her
0: name is duty oh, okay duty chad basically there's like a long history of okay. verifying sex throughout you know sports history and it's been like pretty bad in the past like in the mid 1900s they had these crazy nude lineup kind of things where, like, doctors would, like, come up and, like, yeah you know, check you out. And obviously <laughs> this is crazy and was abused by some people. But one of the things that they have been doing recently is they, uh, like, check testosterone levels mm-hmm. or they do, like, ultrasounds, right? Oh, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And when they did these tests on her, they found that she had higher testosterone than normal. Obviously it's been a huge you know, issue in her life and like how she feels and her marriage didn't end up happening because his family, you know, it wasn't okay with this. And yeah, I was just curious about what you think about this separation of men and women in sport and in general, how you think this might, you know, evolve, how it might change in in the future.
1: Yeah, sure. So I haven't heard about that particular case, but a big one that came that um, I've heard a lot about is with Castor Semenya. She won the 800 at the Olympics, um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, just looking at her, she is like so like strong, and um, you know, people people again are like questioning her sex, and she does have higher than normal testosterone levels, and it's um, very controversial. And the the world track organization just proposed a policy or i think enacted it actually that for women in events between the 400 and the mile which is basically targeting her event that your testosterone levels can only be within a certain range
0: yeah and so
1: i I like thought about it for a little while and i kind of i actually talked to some of my friends about it because at first i was like i kind of can see it like it's like obviously a big advantage um but also it's like kind of terrible like you're discriminating against this person and the conclusion i came to was if she's naturally born with a higher level of testosterone that's like that's just kind of her god-given talent to like go along with this it's like saying that somebody can't compete in basketball because they're too tall to me like um if it's some sort of natural thing that you're born for it and you have an advantage, like that's why all of these great Olympians are who they are because they have great genetics because they have perfect bodies for the sport that they've found. And of course there's a lot of hard work and everything that goes into it, but there's just no mistaking that there's a large biological component. And I guess I, don't think that we should discriminate on one component versus another. Yeah. Um,
0: For me, it's especially crazy that in this case they were also talking about how, yeah, there's certain events in specific, and it just seems so arbitrary to say, all right, these events, this yeah. testosterone level, it it seems crazy. And, but I also think that it goes further than what you're saying in that it's kind of entered the public mind that intersex people. Exist and how do we deal with these people in sport when we have these arbitrary definitions of what is male versus what is female? Like, there are people who compete in sports that have internal testes, for example, or even just have a streak of cells that are producing more testosterone than normal. Like, what do we do about those people?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have the answer. Yeah,
0: no yeah for me, I just think it's interesting about do you think that it's possible that we won't have a separation between men and women in the future, or do you think it's always kind of a thing that we're gonna do
1: oh, i I don't think it's gonna go that far no, no because uh, like there are just such clear divisions and such clear advantages of a like fully male body over a like what we think of as totally normal yeah. female body that it's it's just not fair like right. to judge a woman to a man's standards unfortunately like
0: testosterone does obviously have a big effect on muscle right. development but and but like
1: not that. it's not just that it's um also a um, a big factor is like the hips um right. just like the bone structure of a male build versus a female build offers much more stability when you're running forward and less like lost movement and just the slight swagger back and forth like okay. even even things as simple as that mm-hmm. um can play into it and when you're looking at it on such an elite level when it's on a matter of milliseconds between the best men in the world. Yeah, like, it's, so it's It's close. still a stark difference between maybe where the best women in the world are at.
0: Right. Yeah, no. I definitely think it's interesting to think about, it and like, it remains to be seen in the future how we deal with all these things, right? Yeah. Like, I'm sure these kind of cases keep cropping up, and as a society, we'll have to decide how we want to deal with these kind of things. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um. Yeah, I wanted to also talk a little bit about bouldering because that's something that I've been doing tons since I've been here in Germany.
1: Sure, yeah. And
0: what got you into it?
1: Okay, so uh, when I was in Oregon last summer, that was basically my first experience with rock climbing. Um, there was a pretty nice chopper uh, of wall and bouldering wall at the rec center that they have there, which is let me tell you it's amazing it's imagine if nike just funded a really nice rec center on a university campus oh wait they did (laughs) it's at (laughs) the university of (laughs) oregon and um for our summer positions we got a free membership to it and so i was like i want to go try this out right and so me and a few friends took like the introductory class to be able to get access and then we started going all the time. It was so easy. It was, I don't know, a four minute walk or something from my lab. And so we would go maybe even three days a week or more right after we got out of the lab and sometimes we would just go for half an hour and we would boulder and it was the best thing especially because a lot of my research um that summer was like sitting in front of a computer looking at things it was the best to just get my mind totally refreshed and um it was a great way to hang out and um I was really scared when I started <laughs> bouldering. I think I was probably so terrible. I've taken some friends now for their first times, and I'm like, how are you this good at it? Like, I was so bad for so long, I think. Um, but I have a very healthy fear of heights, I like to say. Um, and so uh, being on a rock wall without a rope, doing these things where you have to, like, you know lift up one foot so you can switch one to one another and all this balance and strength building and stuff it was like very um challenging for me it was very like metaphorical I think too in the end it was all about like having this strength and having enough confidence in yourself and your own strength to like let go and reach higher it was it was like I don't know it ended up becoming a very like emotional thing for me and um just really kind of connected with my friends. Um, so it was great. I, I loved it. And unfortunately when I got back to Michigan, I did not do a lot of climbing. I, uh, went a couple times, but the nearest gym is like an hour from where I go to school. And so I didn't really do much of it, but I was really excited, uh, because here in Heidelberg there is the Boulder house gym. And so i have been going pretty regularly and getting back into it, getting all my calluses back. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been really fun.
0: Yeah. No, that's what I love about bouldering too, is that, you know, it is a mental game. It is a technical kind of thing. It's like that whole balance between power and precision, strength, balance, finesse, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It's all, it's all in there. And, Plus, you can also do it outside, which is the best. Being a geology guy, it's kind of awesome when you can go outside, climb on climb some on rocks. rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah for sure. Yeah. And I just love how social of a sport it is. I, yeah. I am used to, you know, in the past 10 years now, since I've been running competitively, I take it all very seriously. And so it's nice to have a sport where I'm like, you know, this is fun and I can do it and accept that I'm not the best at it and like I improve a little bit and it's fun. I don't have to do it all the time. It's been really good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm just naturally a less competitive person. I'm like, haha, I'm running. I'm having a good time. <laughs> yeah. I'm bouldering. Yeah. No, I think bouldering, I think that could be a sport that I could be more competitive in, but I don't think running. I could really? Do- <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just less of a competitive person, I guess. Yeah. Once I feel like I'm getting too intense in a sport, then that like takes me down a level as far as enjoying it. Right.
1: Right. It's all all about the balance with it. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of been one of the biggest things that I've been working on since I've gotten to college is like, you have to narrow down your interests and especially to be good at running at this kind of level. You can't be overcommitted to a whole bunch of things. You need to be focused. You need to have enough time to get all your schoolwork done and sleep. And, uh, you know, I'm doing research. I'm involved in other clubs and stuff like that. And so for me, it's like you have to focus on something. You have to pick, you know, what you're really going to put all your energy into
0: what's your uh, tip for finding that focus like how do you do it
1: (laughs) um I think trial and error I guess you just yeah I think heading into college uh people often will be like oh don't try to get too involved your first semester but I would say your classes are only going to get harder as you go through so you might as well start with your easy classes and a lot of clubs and like whittle your way from there
0: (laughs) yeah that's fair that's fair yeah, it, for me it was almost the opposite. I was like, first year I get there, I'm like, oh god,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
0: that was my error. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, in the only the past couple of years, I've been like, okay, I'm figuring things out. I know that I need to focus on this, this, this. Yeah, yeah,
1: but I, I always tend to get myself in over my head and be indecisive because there are too many things I'm interested in. Right. And, um,
0: yeah, no, it is all about, you know, finding those things that you enjoy and then being able to focus on them and sleep. That's been something that (laughs) is always something to work on. Yeah. Finding the sleep that makes all the difference for me is being able to sleep. (laughs) it,
1: It does. Um, my going into my freshman year, actually, um, at our, cross country team camp, they brought in the sleep doctor who told us all about his research uh, about the benefits of sleep for athletes. And he told us that we should be getting nine and a quarter hours of sleep every night. And like, that's a lot of sleep, actually, especially for a college student. Um, I think when I was in high school, I probably got between like six and seven and a half hours of sleep. Like you just kind of learn to go through life tired and like like you pretty much always want to take a nap and so once I got to school it was like you know they were pretty emphatic about it like this is part of our training is that we sleep a lot and I was like all right like easy enough at least it seems like it should be and um I have gotten a lot more sleep and it's so crazy like not to be tired all the time I would say I've been bad about sleeping since I've been at <laughs> work, and my my uh, my roommate is super good about getting all her sleep, and she would say I'm I'm bad at it, but I I almost always get more than eight hours, which is that's good. It's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. I, I should get more, but yeah, no. When I, I'm running a lot, I'll get more too. It yeah. Makes me more tired. It's all
0: about sleep hygiene, like being able to you know find a time and all that stuff. But
1: right.
0: Yeah, I really do think that it is one of the most important things that you can do is finding a way to sleep enough because when you don't get enough sleep, like being tired all day, your productivity, it's in the shitter. You know, you're if you're trying to be like exercise, you're gonna get injured. Like these are all things that it's made a huge difference for me. And yeah. Yeah, I can definitely
1: it's so simple and it's
0: Yeah, I mean (laughs) it's
1: it is and it isn't exactly prioritizing.
0: So yeah, we'll end it off pretty soon. I just wanted to ask you I was, you know, thinking about this running program that you were doing as a kid. Do you have any aspirations to continue any kind of program like that?
1: I can totally see myself side jobbing or whatever, like volunteering as like a middle school track coach. I think it would just be the best thing I I am really optimistic, I think, about other people running. Like, I can just believe in people so much, and I get like really emotionally invested in it and like very excited about it. And dealing with kids that age, I think, can be really hard. But I think I would have so much fun coaching high schoolers or middle schoolers or something like that. Of course, it'll. If I'm running a research lab and also seeing patients, yeah. and who knows what I'm going to be doing in the future, we'll, we'll see if there works out to be time for that. But for sure. I would love to.
0: Maybe just to wrap it up, do you have any words for women going into science, going into maybe like neurobiology or anything you are doing?
1: Sure. So I I listened to your podcast from last week when you were kind of talking a lot about that. And I think that unlike geology, um, biological sciences, especially now, are um, becoming almost overtaken by women, which is... Pretty cool. Um, actually, more graduating medical students are women than men in the U.S., which is I think exciting as well. I think that women just have to like believe in themselves and don't don't let guys bring you down. Like <laughs> I I don't know. I I guess I think of one experience I had in this chemistry lab. It was an organic chemistry lab. It's not my strong suit. I mean, now I'm I'm doing like biological chemistry stuff, but. When I started in it, I was very unexperienced compared to the other people in it. And I wasn't just taking the pre-med version. I was taking the immersion with all of the actual chemistry majors. And so most of them were working in chemistry labs and... There, I was like breaking stuff on a regular basis. I racked up such a bill of like all the <laughs> lab where I broke, yeah. Um, just like a hot mess, never knew what was going on. And it was okay, not like I didn't know what was going on, but I regularly felt frustrated and dumb and inadequate and stuff. And there was just this guy next to me, and he would just like he was so snarky, he would not help me at all when I asked him questions. And he was like, he, I don't know, he He totally made me feel like you're that stupid girl in this class. You know, it was it was like a lot more guys than girls in that class, and it was so frustrating. But it was, I think, just motivating. I was like, I will master this stuff. I will stop breaking all the glassware. Like, I will get a high yield on this reaction. I just I put like so much energy into it because I just really wanted to prove myself, and I think that. I I don't know. I I guess that's how I am. Like I'm very much driven competitively. So for me, whether it's that males are dominating a field or whether it's like you need to be a better runner, like you know, you give me something to beat, I'm gonna go try to beat it. So I don't know. I think you can apply a competitive spirit to a lot of things. Definitely.
0: (laughs) Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to talk about?
1: Hmm. Um. I don't know. I think, I think that pretty much covers it.
0: Awesome. Well, it's been so good talking to you. And yeah. thanks for joining me. It's so awesome to hear about all the stuff that Thank you're doing. You. And thanks
1: for having me.
0: Good luck in Michigan after Thank the you. summer. So yeah, awesome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for the music that you're hearing right now. Please subscribe. And if you're feeling up to it, give us a rate and review for the podcast on iTunes. If you have any comments about what we are talking about today, or maybe you just want to say hi, check out the podcast on Twitter or send an email to EndeavorPodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.